0: Do you define yourself by what you eat? Is that personal or is it your community's identity? Join me as we talk to Zella Palmer and explore food studies at Dillard University in New Orleans. Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're talking to the chair of the Dillard University Ray Charles Program in African American Material Culture, Zella Palmer. Besides her directly academic duties, Zella produces the Nellie Murray Feast, which is a 19th century Creole feast and fundraiser. It is her enormous goal to document and preserve and educate about African American material culture in New Orleans and the greater South, from art to foodways. And of course, we're going to be talking mostly about foodways. Welcome, Zella. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's really exciting to have you here. And I'm so pleased that someone who did an internship at the Southern Food and <laughs> Beverage Museum is in such a lofty position and has such great <laughs> responsibilities. So it's really very, very exciting to know that we fostered that. So it's great. Yes.
1: Yes. Thank you. I mean, I uh, thank you so much because... I, you know, you've always been a mentor to me, and I really appreciate, you know, just you planting those seeds early on in my career.
0: Well, the exhibit that you did, even when you were interning as a student, both of them, the Acadian exhibit that you did yes. for your, I guess that was your capstone project in your master's right. program. And then the other exhibit, New Orleans Con Sabor Latino, which also really fabulous. And, of course, that one resulted in a book, which is also fabulous. Yes, yes, yes,
1: yes. I'm so thankful to you because you helped me get a publisher, and that was actually my thesis.
0: (laughs) Well, that's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) So now that you've been kind of in the saddle, so to speak, at Dillard for more than a year, what do you think of the program, how it's developed, and what are your goals for the program? And then later we can talk about how COVID-19 and everything is affecting it. But I, I want your more bird's eye view first. Sure, sure. Well, we launched a uh, food
1: studies minor last semester, which really, um, you know, excited about because we are one of two HBCUs to have a food studies minor. Spelman in Atlanta, Georgia is the other one. Mm-hmm. And so we just wanted to keep on bringing cutting edge academic accredited programs to Dillard. And the food studies program is definitely part of the blueprint that Dr. Kimbrough, our president, always was pushing us to implement in whatever we're doing. So well,
0: well it's the perfect city. I mean it's you yeah, can't you can't it do... is the perfect city. It is <laughs> a perfect city. And our students are incredible,
1: super smart. We we launched two courses last semester, Introduction to Food Studies and Psychology of Food. So we had a blast, you know, and just um even just not only just in class, the curriculum that we created, but also the field trips that we went on. We're kind of like, wow, actually, I'm grateful that we were able to go on a couple field trips just because now we're in quarantine and we have to figure that out. We went to one of our colleagues, it's Honduran, and her family has been here for 40 years. And they invited us to their home and they had this epic Honduran feast and it was at least like four generations in the house that prepared this big feast and just really taught us about the legacy of Hondurans in New Orleans so that was just you know a treat and then Maryville University they come every year from St. Louis and they do a kind of intercultural exchange with our students and bring their students and you know so we usually go to like the wood plantation and do all kind of stuff with them on campus and off campus and we were able to have a lunch at Dickie Chase and they learned dining etiquette so um that was fun and then COVID hit in March and that's kind of like okay how do we um you know and I'm, I'm grateful to my students because they really you know they they immediately adapted to Google Hangouts and doing Zoom calls and all of that. And just like trying to keep the conversation and lectures going and trying to finish out the the rest of the the semester. But it was hard for a few because their families were affected by COVID. Yeah. And one of my um, students, his grandfather got sick with COVID, but thank God he survived. But Another student had a tragic death, you know, and she called crying. So it's just, there's a lot of emotional trauma that we're going to have to deal with when they come back to campus. Um, And we're even trying to figure out what that looks like. I mean, I think all universities are really trying to figure out how we're going to keep the doors open and keep revenue coming in, but at the same time be safe. Because
0: if you're not safe, there's no point in going on, so... Exactly.
1: Exactly. And even just with younger kids, like my kids are in high school, you know, but what is that going to look like, you know? Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a big question, too. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's one of the things that we found out, and a lot of our classes are going to be probably hybrid classes, which is partially online and partially in person just to, you know, keep contact as minimal as possible, just until we figure out what we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's still, we realize that everything can't be online. I think all universities have realized that. when you think about how, you know, university professors, you know, some of them are not computer savvy, you know, and then also, you know, students, they respond better when they're in front of you because, you know, they just, you know, they're in their lives, and they just don't, not all of them do well in online courses, and mm. they just want to be back on campus and be
0: around people, you know? Right. Well, so let me offer something um, that just occurred to me while you were talking. You know, a book that I wrote, it's called uh, Nana's Creole Italian Table, and um, mm-hmm. it's going to come out in January, and the it's all about my my half Sicilian heritage here in New Orleans and the nice. sort of Creole Italian uh, foods and the kind of yeah. culture that came up and all of that sort of thing. I mean my my mother was born in Tremay in right a, in a house in Tremay literally, and um, right. so the whole community of Sicilians. Um, started to wane as I grew up because people were dying and then you lost mm-hmm. all of the generation of people who were direct immigrants, you know. And mm-hmm. so everybody starts to become assimilated and so it's right. it, it loses its its potency or whatever. But if you ever in your history of the food of New Orleans or anything – um, yes,
1: I would love for you to come to class and give a lecture to them that they would love something like that we We definitely are trying to teach them especially in um introduction of food studies we're launching two other courses too i'm teaching introduction of food studies and then there's two other professors that are teaching food in media uh-huh and food in literature
0: oh that's great, yeah there's yeah a lot of, yeah of, both of those things yeah
1: yeah i would I would love for you to come and you know and present the book and, you know, just spend the day with them. Because we do invite people to come to class. We had Chef Elle Simone from um, America's Test Kitchen, and she took over the class and really taught them a lot about food styling and what it's like to be a food stylist and just her life working on America's Test Kitchen. And she was able to give them – they were actually supposed to be there this month, but she gave them two internships to – be it um the American Test Kitchen in Boston but they won't be able to take it no, yeah they no. won't be able to take it well maybe she can yeah. hold it
0: you know for the future yeah for next yeah. year yeah. yeah for next
1: year yeah but you know it's 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 a great opportunity for um us to engage with people in the industry and people historians you know
0: yeah absolutely I mean I was mm-hmm. even thinking that we could just cook a lot because there's so yes, many dishes. Yes, I we would love that. And there's so many dishes that people don't even know are Italian. I mean like snowballs and things like that, you know. Yes, so, yes,
1: yes, yes. Yes, would love that. Yes, definitely. Snowballs, they would that we would love that
0: (laughs) college kids and food they're there (laughs) and I I also think that the relationship between the Sicilians in New Orleans and the African-American community was very very deep and yes um, that might be something also that people lose because
1: of Mm. changes
0: of generation and
1: that sort of thing absolutely I know. I remember Miss Leah always talking about how her neighbors were Sicilian. And even when we did the Leah Chase documentary after the Nellie Murray feast, after we raised that, the funds, we used a clip of some Sicilian women who were in New Orleans and speaking Italian to a police officer. You know, it was right <laughs> on, in <Treme>. <laughs> Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> yes such oh. a beautiful story. And I think that you're right. You know, that history gets, you know, it, it was one of the most diverse neighborhoods mm-hmm. in the United States, and they knew each other.
0: Well, even when I, were was, all neighbors. I was a kid, I went to school in Treme kindergarten and first grade, and my great-grandmother still lived there, and so I would go to her house after school to wait to get picked up. And so... Mm-hmm. As kids do, we just all played together in the neighborhood, and uh, my grandmother had a big freezer, and so because she didn't have any young children in her house anymore, but Once I was coming there after school, she started to make huckabucks all the time, Mm -hmm. but she called Mm -hmm. them huckabuckas because she couldn't say huckabuck. (laughs) She couldn't stop on that K, you know. So cute. (laughs) And, And so all the kids used to call them huckabuckas too because she said that and they just copied what she said, you know. And it, uh-huh. I, was, I was quite old when I found out that's not what they were. <laughs> but we all would uh-huh. run, run into the house and open the freezer and, you know, take out those little Dixie cups. And it was, um, it was, you know, I those are fond memories that I still have. Yeah. And even my brother, who's five years younger than I am, he missed all that. It changed mm. that in that period when he was growing up because you know you don't remember what happened to you when you were two so even if he was being tossed around at a party or whatever he he doesn't remember all that
1: right 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 interesting interesting but you know the program we have a greenhouse on campus so we've got some um, in-kind donations to fix our windows which we're so happy about and I'm just on a mission to figure out how we can really grow things on campus, especially now more than ever, you know? Yes,
0: yes. Mm -hmm. And
1: I want, you know, students to see what a real tomato looks like, see some indigenous plants that grow here in Louisiana, elderberries, you know, and just really create this abundant kind of greenhouse where, We are sharing food, and we can use food from the greenhouse for cooking demos. So that's really, you know, my next step, the professor, Dr. Gerlach, is a professor of botany, and Dr. Buckles, professor of biology. So we've been, you know, working on that and just trying to figure out, can we get grants, can we get donations, can we get, you know, and I'm hoping that we'll be able to rally up the community to really help us. Put the structure together to have this greenhouse that sits in the middle of campus right on the Avenue of the Oaks, but it has been in disrepair
0: for a decade now.
1: And there's no reason for it.
0: Oh, yeah. It would be wonderful to have it actually functioning. That would be great. Right.
1: That would be great. So that's what we've been working on.
0: Well, and, you know, just, yeah. I was just going to ask, you know, what other sorts of programs? Are you trying to do any Zoom programs or anything like that where where you can bring people together?
1: Well, we've been doing because, you know, we're out of school right now. We don't come back until August. Right. We've been doing um, Instagram live videos. Uh And so I've been interviewing just a host of people. We interview Chef Pierre Tiam, the Senegalese chef. We'd had, you know, cooking demos. We've interviewed so many people. And it's on our Instagram page, Dillard underscore Ray Charles. We've interviewed historians. I'd love to interview you too. I
0: and then
1: Yay. And, you know, we've Dana uh Dana Hahn Oh yeah. at mm-hmm. our Carmel Cafe. We interviewed him. He made um, a carage, Brazilian a Mm-hmm. And um he was actually our instructor for the Restaurant and Catering Management course that we launched about two years ago. Uh-huh. So, and we're going to bring that back and it's needed more than ever, clearly, you know. So, and we're ho- hoping to partner with some other institutions to really um, give a robust curriculum and give students, you know, what they need to be successful post-COVID. So that's pretty much what we're doing. And then I'm just trying to figure out what is the semester going to look like. And that, that's challenging for me. Cause we were supposed to have a conference and it looks like we won't be able to have a conference.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: But we're working on a grant made the first round for the, um, it's a collection of universities that we're uh, part of and, it's going to look at American slavery and in food waste. Uh-huh. We're trying to figure out what, hopefully we'll uh, make the second round, and then we'll be able to do some programming and uh, build some curriculum around that.
0: Well, so. let me tell you, we are working on an exhibit right now about that very thing. And Oh, cool. And we're working with the James Hemings Society and Whitney Plantation. Maybe we should all work together to have your programming and we'll be having an exhibit. And so that might be something that would be fun to do together. When are you... That
1: would be awesome. That would be awesome.
0: When are you thinking that you're you're going to know all of this and you would start implementing this?
1: Probably not until, I think, February of 21 because we have to go through certain steps to find out. And if, it, it won't be... Until 2021, when it officially launches, and to see if we get the grant.
0: Well, it sounds like our timing may really work. We'll have to, uh, we'll have to have a separate conversation about that. That sounds like sure, something sure, where sure. we could really work together. Sure, absolutely.
1: And I know I need to get back to record my voice for the the I think the Creole. Uh, if someone reached out to me, it's so sad that I need, that they wanted me to record my voice to talk about Creole uh, culinary history. And right. I need a follow-up with
0: that. Yeah. Okay. We'll do that too. Okay. Okay. So what are your students like? In other words, students who decide, especially the ones who are interested in food studies as a minor, what is their major usually? Are they local? Are they people who've come to Dillard from someplace else? What, What's the student profile?
1: And the two classes that we launched, a lot of them are, it's interesting. A lot of them, um, I wouldn't say that it was diverse. Like I had one student from Oklahoma and she was really interested in native food ways. Uh Then I had a student from Appaloosa, a lot of students from, you know, outside of like Shreveport. Lake Charles, Opaloosa. Louisiana students, uh,
0: but not New Orleans. Yeah, students. Louisiana.
1: Yeah, not New Orleans students. I did have a couple of New Orleans students. Um, some of them, uh, one of them was, um, her mom was from Panama, so she really appreciated the Honduran night. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had, um, you know, it was just such a diverse group. And some of the majority of them were either film majors uh um, mass communication majors I had one accounting major and was interested in trying to figure out how they can come help restaurants with their books
0: oh, you know wow. uh-huh.
1: which is you know and we were just it was so you know it was just so it was it was amazing just to see all of these different students from so many backgrounds and they just were blown away that they uh, in by the end of the course that they really were you know understood the power of food
0: yes. and how
1: it's really it's interdisciplinary in it you know, and how it 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 crosses over into every field and really what you know their major so that was exciting you know that was really exciting to see them just blossom and you know in their projects in the end of the semester and what they were interested in so it was it was interesting, very interesting
0: well, I do think that people take food for granted and um mm-hmm. and that they think of it as such an ordinary thing that the fact that it actually touches almost every subject that there is because first of all everybody eats and it's needed yes. for survival it just makes it so crucial and i think we just really forget that so i'm excited that the students kind of understood that
1: i i think i think this is also You know, it's just so timely because I, I now think about like, you know, just they're, they're seeing food security issues even more so now, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, they were, they'll like send me screenshots of their grocery stores and there's certain things that are missing that they've never seen not missing before, you know? Right. And so... And then, you know, some of them are growing at home and they'll, you know, they'll ask me like, this summer, how do I, you know, how do I uh, plant this or how do I plant that? and They just seem really invested in growing food, figuring out how to share with community and learning as much as they can about agricultural practices and, you know, asking their parents and their grandparents, what, what was their life like? And especially their grandparents who might have been farmers. It's interesting.
0: Well, I really hope that students can come to see this as an experience that they've lived through and not just a nuisance. Because yes. um, if you can approach it as something more positive and mm-hmm. it, it's not quite as as hard because then you say, Well, let me observe this, let me see what it, what this makes me aware of that I didn't know about before and how can I adapt right. and what am I going to take away from this that's going to change yeah. everything even when it's over. And yeah. so yeah. I I really think that sometimes we have to point some of that out to people because people just act like, when is this going to be over Like, this really isn't affecting me. I'm just hiding away in my house or whatever.
1: Yeah. And
0: they're not learning anything from it. They're not taking anything away from it, except that it's a nuisance.
1: Well, I am concerned about some students from different socioeconomic backgrounds who aren't able to get a summer job, who are kind of like figuring
0: out food insecure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Who are food insecure and, You know, because I can remember some students asked me to chair their club, you know, Mm -hmm. and they were from a different city and they were like, oh, we want to show all the New Orleans students that we have food from our city. And I said, okay, what are you going to show them? And it was all snacks,
0: Uh you know? Yeah.
1: And I don't think it registered to them that snacks isn't food (laughs) and that, but this is what they're. Faced with, Right. Because they're in food deserts and the only the grocery store isn't even a grocery store. It's like a bulletproof window. Right. And then when they come to campus and then they have meals in the cafeteria. I mean, it's normal for students to always complain about cafeteria food. But, I, you know, I think that our cafeteria is pretty good, you know, <laughs> and they, you know, they have red beans and rice on Monday. They have fish fry Friday and they get to sit down you know, and have meals, real meals, home-cooked meals. And I think when they look back, I think they're going to appreciate those things. They're probably, you know, thinking about that now and wanting to get back to campus, especially those who are food insecure. So food insecurity on college campuses is a huge issue. And I really also want to start focusing on that because even in, you know, larger universities, you know, with a big populations or bigger funding, It's still an issue for college students and, you know, especially when they don't have kitchens in their dorms. I want to figure out ways to combat that and give them the resources that they need, even though we do have a food pantry, but still, it's nothing like having a box of vegetables or fruit.
0: Right, right. And maybe as you get your greenhouse going and you can do some other planting so that you've got fruit trees or something that you know, is permanent. I mean, one of the yeah. one of the good things about a tree is once it's there, it will keep producing. Whereas some vegetables, um, you have to plant over and over again every year and that mm-hmm. that it it kind of feels like you're not getting anywhere. Whereas you plant a tree and it's there, you know, that sort of Johnny Adams thing. And maybe Absolutely. that could be a way to help students ultimately.
1: Yeah, that would be a good idea. And, you know, I also did some research. In the 1940s, Dillard had a horticultural program. Uh And they brought, it was after, it was either during World War II or after um, World War II, but they were bringing a lot of Jewish professors, a lot of Jewish professors who were working at HBCUs because, you know, the uh, private white institutions were not allowing them to teach. So like Einstein, Albert Einstein taught at Lincoln University mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania. And then we started bringing his, historians and professors to teach at HBCU. And so they started a floricultural program at Dillard. And I thought, wow, you know, that's so amazing. And when you think about how many flowers we use just in tourism, and I just wonder if there's any graduates still alive, I would love to, like, maybe talk to them and just see how that program is. It, it, it was an article in Pittsburgh Courier, a black uh, newspaper, and they brought um, someone who had worked at the Royal Botanical Garden in London and in Germany over to teach, the to direct the program. I thought it was fascinating.
0: Wow, that really, really is. And can you see mm-hmm. anything left from that program there on campus? Like the greenhouse no, no. is much newer than that, right? I mean, that's not... Yeah,
1: the greenhouse is much newer. No, because, you know, we were underwater practically during Katrina. So, yeah, that's um, right. you know, and that's the only, the, those are and the archivists in the library, that's the only documents that we could find uh, that mentioned anything about that program. So, oh, yeah. And but, I don't know how long they were there, you know, the director of the program, how long he was there. So, yeah. But, Fascinating. Fascinating.
0: Wow. Well, Zella, it has been really fabulous talking to you today. And Thank you. I'm really happy that we had this opportunity, and we obviously have lots more to talk about and then another phone call.
1: <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. And uh, for those who are listening, if you want to support Dillard University, we have a cookbook out that's called Recipes and Remembrances of Sarah Dillard. 1869 to 2019, and it is um, available at University of Lafayette Press. And uh, it's a terrific it's a cookbook. cookbook,
0: by the way. Thank I, you, I... thank you.
1: <laughs> yes, and you have an, and you had and Liz has a recipe in the cookbook. Um, her leftover turkey gumbo, <laughs> um, and you know, it's just an amazing community cookbook of collected recipes since the 1950s. We also have a recipe from Eleanor Roosevelt, Lena Horne, uh, Ralph Bunch, Marion Anderson. I mean, it's, it's an incredible history, and we released it for our um, 150th anniversary. So please do support. All proceeds go back to the uh, Ray Charles Program.
0: Well, thanks for joining us today, listening to Tip of the Tongue. We are part of the Nitty Grits Network of the National Food and Beverage Foundation. Come visit us at our studios at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. You can find us and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.